First Timothy chapter four. Paul writes to Timothy. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, King James says devils, but it's demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And I think we'll stop right there. Uh, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. Uh, interesting to see how some of the translations uh, handled that uh, distinctly and expressly in the Amplified, explicitly in the NAS, clearly in the NIV. The Spirit makes it very plain that there are going to be some very specific things that are going to happen. When are they going to happen? In the latter times. Uh, that's sometime after Paul wrote to Timothy, but it's not specified. How do we know when it is? I, I've read some commentaries on this, very, very interesting. They cover kind of a, a broad stroke some say that's already passed. The latter times were in, in front of Paul and Timothy, but behind us. And I, I think Harry Ironside is among those that make that contention. And he would say that this description that's given in verses 2 and 3 specifically applies to the Middle Ages in Europe. And I, I could see where he could come up with that conclusion. Interesting that when I read Henry Morris, he makes an application to current things that are going on in the most unique way. Not specified. After the time of Paul and Timothy, uh, some, we've spent some time dealing with those sums in 1 Timothy, shall depart Interesting word. Some of the newer translations say fall away or turn away. One of them uses the word abandon, interestingly enough. Uh, it's translated different ways in the New Testament. Turn to Luke chapter 8, if you would, please. Luke chapter 8. I'm still breaking in my new Bible. So you're probably there before I am. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Here's what the verse says. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, 
which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, what's it say? Fall away. That's the word that's depart in 1 Timothy chapter 4 at verse 1. Uh, let's go to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, if you would please. In the third chapter of the book of Hebrews, we have this in verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing, there's our word, in departing from the living God. If some are going to depart from the faith in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it sure, I think, fits nicely with Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. What would cause some to depart from the faith? If you look at Hebrews 3.12, an evil heart of unbelief. I think that that says it, I think, very, very clearly. Uh, there's something here that I think we need to get a hold of. If churches in the United States, any of them, departed from the faith, yes or no? Have a lot of churches departed from the faith? Hmm. How did that happen? An evil heart of unbelief. I've read about some uh, Bible colleges and seminaries in the 19th century who made some decisions that they weren't holding to their doctrinal statement anymore. Some of them, by 120 or 130 years ago, had made it quite clear they didn't believe the Bible. And yet they were training people for vocational ministry. What does that do to the church? I think it's important that the day and age is so incredibly perverse, that keeping a handle on the truths of the Word of God, holding to them publicly and privately, is vital for the strength of the church. I, I'm not sure I want to get very specific, but even in our own area, there are so-called churches that have nothing or very little to do with the truths of the Bible. They've pursued something far, far different. You know what they've done? They departed from the faith. They were giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, just out of curiosity, did, did you know that demons were good at doctrine? Hmm. Doctrines of demons. Anybody know what John 8, 44 says? Jesus rebukes 
unbelieving Jews and says, you are of your father, the devil. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. So what do you think doctrines of demons would entail? I think very clearly, lies. Something counter to the truth. Some of it, with these seducing spirits, may seem very, very close to the truth. Paul warns Timothy, people are going to depart from the faith giving heed to those things. The word heed, it uh, means literally to hold to. Uh, it signifies to turn to, to turn one's attention to, hence to give heed. It suggests devotion of thought and effort to a thing. They're going to depart from the faith, and they're going to give devotion of thought and effort to seducing spirits, to doctrines of demons. How far do you believe the church is from departing from the truth? Sometimes a pastor comes and he's already surrendered some part of his life to some kind of blatant unbelief. You know what he's going to do with the church? Very, very important we get this. I believe the Baptist Church of Hadley has a very consistent record of holding to the Word of God, believing it, preaching it, practicing it, and seeing it work itself out in the lives of its members. Would you pray that that testimony might continue? Faithfully, steadfastly, regularly, looking in the book, searching out what God says, and then preaching, teaching, and practicing it. It says that these are going to depart from the faith. What's, what's the faith? Let's go to the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans, chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier 
of him which believeth in Jesus. Our faith is centered in Jesus. It's centered in being justified by faith. Let's take a look in chapter 4. Verse 4. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Uh, let's go to the 10th of Romans, Romans chapter 10. Very familiar verses, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Uh, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Paul writes to Timothy about unfeigned faith. He writes to Titus about being sound in faith. When, when you walk through Paul's epistle to Timothy, there's some interesting things that happen to this matter of faith. In chapter, chapter 1, some made shipwreck of their faith. Their consciences betrayed them. We read here in verse four, uh, 1 of chapter 4, some shall depart from the faith. You read about husbands that don't take care of their wives in chapter 5 at verse 8, and it says very clearly they've denied the faith. Uh, younger women in the church not properly uh, taught, some pursuing their own willful way, says they've turned aside from their faith, cast off their first faith. Chapter 6 at verse 10 talks about covetous people who have erred from the faith. Boy, he... Uh, certainly told Timothy there were things to watch for when it comes to this matter of faith. Well, let's go back to chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Um, the word means to cause to wander or to lead astray to wander and then deceive, if you please. Are there spirits that do that? All kinds of things that we could probably point to to talk about how uh, this enemy we have that's unseen and his minions do all kinds of things to... Cause to wander and then deceive. 
this seducing, as it were. Uh, seducing spirits. We read about spirits, demons, if you please, in Matthew 8 and Luke chapter 4, and I'm not going to go there except to say that they're referred to as unclean spirits. Hmm. There's something to be said for purity. There's something to be said for righteousness. There's something to be said for holiness. And when things diminish from those, keep your eyes open. Doctrines of demons. Uh, most of the time, Paul writes to Timothy about doctrine as um, the substance that Timothy's supposed to teach, but here it says somebody else has substance, and they are demons. They're going to teach something counter to what the Bible presents, and they're certainly going to teach something counter to what Paul tells Timothy and these other uses of the word doctrines. These doctrines of demons, Bind says this, they disseminate errors among men and seek to seduce believers. Uh, let's think out loud about 1 John chapter 4 just for a minute. 1 John 4, 6 says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If someone will not listen to the clear teaching and preaching of the word of God, what does that say? If they won't listen to it, John says that's a spirit of error. That's something to avoid. These are speaking lies in hypocrisy. Uh, John eight forty four. I come back to that. Who's the father of lies? Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Uh, the word hypocrite is kind of interesting. Uh, it, it means um, an actor. L let me give you this from Vine. It was custom for Greek and Roman actors to put on large masks with mechanical devices for augmenting the force of the voice. Hence, the word became used metaphorically of a dissembler or a hypocrite. Is that who that really is behind that mask with his voice being amplified? No. And I think it's important that you discern when someone is speaking lies in hypocrisy. It says, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. 
the word steered has the English word that would correspond is the word cauterize. Uh, what do you do with somebody who has a seared conscience? Well, I think what you do is you avoid them. How in the world did something like uh, Hitler's takeover of Germany promoting all the things they promote. How did that happen? Well, I think much of it happened with cauterized consciences. People who would not respond to their own conscience. They'd harden their hearts. Paul lays it out before Timothy that in the latter times, there, there are going to be some challenges, some huge ones. Uh, these that are speaking lies and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Then he gives two things that are kind of interesting. Forbidding to marry. When you read Harry Ironside, it's clear that he's talking about the Middle Ages church. The thing that was called a church but wasn't a, a, a fellowship, a body of believers. It was an institution, no doubt, um, forbidding to marry. Who ordained marriage? Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2 just for a minute. Chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. Did he mean it was evil? No. Everything in creation had been declared good until this point. The, the sense is uh, it's incomplete. It is not good that the man should be alone. So, why would anybody reject or forbid marriage? Listen to what the account tells us. Verse 23, Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Let's go to the 19th of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Here's what we have in the 19th of Matthew. Verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They're speaking of divorce there. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together. 
let not man put asunder. Let's go to the fifth of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. You get the idea that uh, when somebody forbids to marry, they've crossed a line. Ephesians chapter 5. We read in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he's the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And then in verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Latter days, seducing spirits, doctrines of demons, forbidding to marry, and commanding, and that's italicized, so that word is not there, but they were teaching to abstain from, the, the word in the King James Bible is meats, but it's the word for food. In other words, some were twisting the very things that God made as good and saying they aren't good. What does Paul say to Timothy? Every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. We're, uh, we're about out of time. I think it's vital that God's people stay in the book. That's what will protect the church from seducing spirits and doctrines of demon. That, that's what will protect the church from people who depart from the faith. Uh, my hope is built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is seeking, sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I, I need Jesus and I need his book. And that's what will protect the church in the days ahead. Uh, let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Father, thank you for the time together tonight. Would you encourage and bless your people in these days of transition? Father, I pray for Pastor Luke and his family. Would you... Uh, keep them safe, Father. Would you uh, protect and prepare them for ministry here? Father, we ask that you'll bless the church in the interim time. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, fortify your people, I pray, Father. Give them a great encouragement from your word. And we ask this with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.